Ben and Megan uh, Siegel come to church here at Whitley Church and also at the bridge. And it has been an honor for us to bless them and serve them. We appreciate Pastor Jeremy and uh, Mitch Hardison uh, going to uh, Washington, D.C. and getting that interview and bringing us that great, powerful video today. I'd like for all of you who are currently serving in the military, any branch of the service, would you please stand and let us just thank you for what you're doing for our country. We love you. We appreciate you. Those of you who have served in the past, would you please stand? Those who have served in the past, thank you so much. Thank you guys and gals. We love you. Good to see you, Joseph Davis. Your wife looks really happy today. And uh, you guys are going, heading off to Delaware before too long, I think. And 16th, we're going to miss you. Take your big coat with you, okay, because you're going to need it. Um, how many, do we have anyone here today who your spouse is currently deployed somewhere or off tr getting training or they're overseas? Wives, would you stand? And husbands, would you stand and let us see you if you have a spouse that's deployed? We thank you. Thank you, too. Yesterday was an awesome day at Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, and Pastor Jimmy, when you see him, uh, give him a big old pat on the back. He did an awesome job putting a team together and, uh, and uh, going and appreciating the reservists uh, at, uh, on Seymour Johnson Air Force Base. I've heard so many good reports. Um, Colonel Ogden was here last night. Uh, the wing commander walked up to me right after service was over and said, man, we have never had an event like that. Never before had an event like that. And uh, uh, we, we are just so happy to do it. Scott and Sherry uh, concluded the Art of Marriage, and our target uh, group there was um, um, military families. Everyone was welcome to come, but especially military couples to come, 20 People accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior at the marriage conference. <clears throat> and I saw Sherry posted on Facebook that one of the couples was in the balcony of the church smooching. And that's always good <laughs> at a marriage conference. We don't all we don't we we allow that rarely at church, but at a marriage conference it is permitted. All right. Well, we're talking about uh, toxic, poisonous, dangerous mindsets, ways of perceiving, attitudes, ways we think. These messed up attitudes, these messed up mindsets deeply and negatively affect you whether you're the one with the bad mindset, with the negative attitude or not, if you live with somebody or work with somebody, or if you are constantly around somebody who has these kinds of mindsets, you're affected by that and not in a good way. Some of you sitting here this morning work in an environment like that. Maybe you work in an office like that. 
If any of my staff says amen, you're going to lose your job. So uh, you, 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 uh, you're in it, in and out of it, every day of your life. Some of you, it's in your home. Uh, you've seen it in church, and you've seen it in other organizations. I appreciate the spirit of this church, and I appreciate the attitude of this church in general. Uh, this church is a, is a positive, I, I, I sense a, a positive environment when I come in our doors, a positive environment, uh, a godly environment when I walk into our worship venues that we have, and I'm thankful for that. So we're not up here preaching so much today that um, we need to stop doing these things as a church as much as we're taking preventative medicine. How many of you take vitamins so you won't get sick? Well, we're doing some of that. We're also trying to help those of you who maybe struggle with that toxic attitude to see it, to see that you have it, recognize that you have it, and understand that in the power of the death of Jesus on the cross and his resurrection from the grave, there is freedom from that mindset. There's liberty from that way of thinking. You don't have to have it. You don't have to walk in that way of perceiving. God will set you free from it. The Bible says we become new creations when we are born into the family of God. When we are saved, when we are born again, we become a new creature, a new creation. And part of that is a new way of thinking, a new attitude, a new way of perceiving. We talked about from Matthew chapter 7, verses 24 through 27, the man who built his house on the rock and the man who built his house on the sand. And the winds blew and the rains fell and the floods did rise and beat upon that house. And the one on the rock stood and was unmoved. The one on the sand fell and great, the Bible says, was its fall. And so we kind of took that parable, that little story that Jesus told, and we said, you know, whatever you build for yourself up here, you got to live in that house when the winds come, and they're coming. you got to live in that house when the rains fall, when the floods rise, whatever house you have built for yourself, whatever attitude you've built for yourself, whatever mindset you've built for yourself or allowed God or, or prevented God, from building in you. You've got to live in that house when the storm comes. And so we've talked about uh, in this sermon series a list of some very destructive attitudes that can be used if you want to to build a very fragile and a very miserable house for yourself. The first one we talked about was the control freak, the person who just has to control everything. And we looked at the characteristics of a person like that. And then we spent a couple of weeks talking about uh, a very uh, deep level of control called emotional dependency or codependency. And um, you are welcome to go online on our website and click on media, and go to the podcast and listen to those messages, absolutely uh, no charge. And, and, and I'll send you my notes. I've always told you I'll send you my notes of any sermons that I preach. So what we want to talk about today is the toxic attitude of rebellion. Rebellion. The Bible is filled with many clear and emphatic scriptures about the importance of submission. 
Submission. Now we think of submission in the church, and we'll talk about that primarily, but the Bible doesn't only call for you to submit in the house of God. It calls for you to submit as a husband. Ladies, that was a great place to say amen, so I'm going to back up and say it again. So uh, we have to submit as husbands. Now I'm about to say wives, and when I say wives, guys, don't say anything. And wives... That, well, a woman can say amen. That's fine. <laughs> Children need to submit. And everybody said, Woo, we're about to have church now. Employees have to submit. And as citizens of our great community and our great state and our great nation, we have to be submissive as citizens. Words in the Bible that are synonymous with submission are words like honor, respect generosity, giving, loving, humility, people who understand and practice biblical submission to authority. If you'll notice the characteristics of those lives, people who are willing to submit, they understand how important it is. They understand for our civilization to function well and for our church and any organization we're in to function in a healthy way, there is submission that has to take place. Sometimes you're asked to submit to someone who isn't as educated as you are. Sometimes you are asked to submit to someone who isn't as smart as you are. And if my staff says amen here, they're going to be in trouble again. Sometimes you're asked to submit to someone who doesn't have as much experience. Sometimes you're asked to submit to someone who really you know way more about the whole thing than they do. And And actually, if you were leading it, it would be much further along, but you're being tested. You're in a time of testing. You can rebel against those people who are in authority over you, and you can cause disruption, or you can come under and pray that God will bring healing into that situation. Y'all with me out there on that? So people who understand and practice biblical submission, you'll notice these people are filled most of the time, you'll notice they're filled with genuine humility and love. They're very unselfish people. They're willing to be held accountable. They don't mind you holding them accountable. And when they recognize it, they will take personal responsibility for their decisions. They don't play the blame game. They take responsibility for their behavior. People who fail to understand submission, or maybe they understand it, but they just will not practice it. If you'll notice in their life, there's a lot of pride. There's a lot of arrogance. Uh, they're quite often full of criticism. They're, they're selfish, self-ruled, and many times they're spiritually irresponsible. Submission is not slavery. It's not slavery. It is a very fundamental principle of life that is to be practiced again in all of society. Now, we're going to talk about the church primarily today, but in all of society, we have to submit. Um, If you don't believe that, just leave today and go, I hate stop signs and red lights. I'm going to do as I please. You'll be calling us and we'll be visiting you at the jail because in all of civilization, we have to submit to those around us, for there to be order. 
for there to be order. So when you understand the principle of submission, then you'll understand the practice of submission. Let's look at what the Bible says about submission. Let's go to the book of Ephesians. Paul, the apostle, is writing a letter to a church in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, and Paul is not with them. He's sending a message, and this is what he writes in his letter, Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, and you know this passage. If you've been in the church for any time, this is a very famous passage that is read quite often. Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 says, and he himself gave some to be apostles. He being Jesus himself gave some, gave to the church apostles. He gave to the church some prophets. He gave to the church some evangelists. He gave to the church some pastors and teachers or pastor teachers. Why? Why did he give these offices, these giftings? Why did he establish these positions within the body? Look at verse 12. For the equipping of the saints. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry does not belong just to Pharaoh Hardison. The work of the ministry does not belong just to our paid staff. The work of the ministry does not just belong to our ministry directors. Every one of us are ministers. We are a body. We are a body. And yesterday was a perfect day to watch the body of Christ function in our community. As our team went onto the base and ministered and our team uh, went and taught what a godly marriage and a biblical marriage is all about. The body functioning when all of these people put on the orange t-shirts and looked like a bunch of walking creamsicles. And they went to Kentucky and they, they showed the love of Jesus. They demonstrated the love of Jesus. That made people want to hear the message of Jesus when you demonstrate the love of Jesus. Amen. Have we discovered that here at Whitley Church in the Bridge? If you will be Jesus, then they want to hear about Jesus. The mistake the church has made is that we want to go shove Jesus down their throat and move on and go, you need the gospel. No, what they need is to see Jesus demonstrated. And when they see Jesus demonstrated, then they'll say, tell me of this Savior. Tell me of this man who made you love me though you don't know me. And if you will demonstrate him to me, I will hear you talk about him. These different giftings in the body were put here to provide leadership for the church, to provide authority in the church, to provide people who will oversee the direction and health of the church. These people who are putting these offices, and let me tell you that these are gifts of the Holy Spirit that are listed here in Ephesians 4.11. They're gifts of the Holy Spirit. Let me list them again. Apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors, teachers. These are giftings in the body of Christ, spiritual gifts, but these are not all of them. As a matter of fact, there really is not a comprehensive list list of spiritual gifts in the Bible. Uh, the Bible, uh, I've heard uh, several writers, some will say uh, 28 gifts are listed in the Bible, some will say 31. The fact is that there is no comprehensive list. How many of you believe music can be a spiritual gift? 
Amen? But that's not in the Bible. It's not listed as a gift, but we know that. Mr. Jeff Elmore is here with us today, and Jeff teaches our D2 class, and it's going to begin the second Wednesday in September. And that is a class that lasts several weeks, and we teach you how to discover what you're good at, how to discover your place of ministry, what your gifting might be. We can't tell you what your gift is. We can only give you direction, and you get with God, and you and God determine finally where you're gifted, and I hope you'll take that class. If you've struggled with your place, if you've struggled with where you fit in the body of Christ, if you've struggled with where you fit here at Whitley Church, you need to take that class, and that comes up beginning second Wednesday in September. And it is there, these offices, these gifts, are there for the equipping of the saints, the maturing of the saints, so that they will serve. See, we're servants, We serve and and we establish the word of God in the house of God and we we we, uh, uh, teach the commands of the word of God for his church in the earth. Let's go to Hebrews and look at what Paul said there. And I know it doesn't say in the book of Hebrews that Paul wrote it, but when you compare Hebrews to Paul's other writings, it looks like he's probably the author of the book of Hebrews. So let's, let's read it. Hebrews 13, 17 through 18. Look what Paul says. Look what Paul says to Pharaoh Hardison about how he should function in the church. Look what Paul says to you about how you are to treat leaders. Now listen, let, let me just say this. The church is a volunteer organization. As a matter of fact, I want to remind my staff, as I do often, guys, we, there is part of our work that we're paid for, but then as a staff, we also volunteer. Because isn't that what the staff is asking all of you to do? Isn't that right? We want you guys to work all day. We want you to grab a burger and come on out here and go to work again. And so, so we, we volunteer. The church is a volunteer system. In order for that to work, we have to come under. We have to submit. And churches are destroyed every day, and churches fall apart every day, and churches, and churches uh, fail every day because people are filled with pride and refuse to come under authority. You say, yeah, but the person who's over me, you know, they're not perfect. Really? Call Dan Rather. That is a news flash right there. Listen, and the young people are going, who's Dan Rather? Okay. Um, 60 minutes. Call 60 minutes. Um, because we know, no, you're not asked to submit to a person because a person's perfect. There has to be order in the house. Amen, amen? There has to be a flow. There has to be those who make the call, those who make the decision, those who cast the vision, those who say this is where God is leading us. This is what God has said. And then as a church, we come under that. And and if we have a disagreement or if there's something we don't like about what's going on, then let me tell you how to complain at Whitley Church. Now, if you're not taking notes, you might want to take notes right here because I'm about to tell you how to officially log a complaint in Whitley Church. If you've got a complaint, say it to the right person. If you have a problem with me, guess who you need to talk to? 
You quote Miss Piggy, moi. <laughs> you want to talk to me. Because if you talk to somebody about me, you just did what? You just, and gossip is a, so you come to me. So say it to the right person. Say it in the right place. Privately. 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 You don't, you don't express your frustrations and your disagreements and even your anger in a church hallway. Amen, amen. Can I preach like this? I'm going to. You don't do that. You control yourself. You allow the Holy Spirit to help you stay under control. You shut your mouth. And the reason you shut your mouth is because an unbeliever might be walking by. So we control ourselves. And we, be, and we are our best self. We talk to the right person. We say it in the right place. We say it in the right spirit. If you're mad, don't say anything. And the people said, amen. Now, you say, well, pastor, I mean, is this like a big problem in our church? That's not a big problem in our church, but I don't want it to be. So I want to say to you, Right person, right, what was the next one? Place, right spirit. I'm just pause right there. And then finally, right time. Don't, don't walk up to me right before I preach and go, oh, by the way, I'm really upset with you about something, but I'll talk to you after the sermon. Because then when the lights come on after the video, I'm going to be going, I'm going to be, you know what I'm saying? There's a right time, a right place, the right person in the right spirit. And we're going to start, we're going to start enforcing this. As we grow as a church, listen, listen, Whitley Church is... Um, out there. Everybody's looking. Everybody, <laughs> I didn't mean it like that. <laughs> we know the pastor's out there, but, but Whitley, people are watching. I, I see signs on churches that I know, and I'm not paranoid, but I know they were for us. I really do. I, I see things on Facebook that I know are about us that are negative. Um, so they're watching us. It would be such a delight to the enemy if we just all got an attitude, a toxic attitude that will not submit, but says, I want my way, I have rights. You say, but hey, pastor, you might be wrong about something, so how do I... How do we express that? Say it to me privately. Say it to me in the right spirit, right place, right time. There's a way to do it, guys. There, we, don't, we don't say you can't 
challenge the pastor. You can't challenge the staff. You can't challenge the leadership. But we love each other. We don't want to challenge each other in a way that we attack each other. We want to challenge each other in the sense that we do better, that we'll be a better church. And the people said, y'all with me? Y'all hearing me on this? So, so look what it says in Hebrews 13, 17 through 18, because people are watching us and they're waiting for us to you know, mess up and they're waiting for it to be public. And it breaks my heart, but I just want to say something really, really blatant right here. It breaks my heart that, that people who call themselves Christians often delight in the demise of another body of Christ. And folks, that is a sin. That is why we stand in this church and pray for other churches, because they are us. We are a body called Whitley and the Bridge. We're a body, but we are connected to anybody else who is in Christ. They're part of our body too, okay? So we don't want to ever be critical and, and, and speak bad about them. Hebrews 13, 17, obey those who rule over you. How can I obey someone who's not perfect? Listen, we have the wing commander up here Wednesday night, he and his wife giving their testimony on how to make a military, how to make Christ the center of your military home. He's not perfect. She's not perfect. But in order for the military to function effectively and defeat the enemy, you come under people who aren't perfect. You obey. You do what the vision says, where we say we're going. Look at it in Hebrews 13, 17 through 18. Obey those who rule over you and be what? For they watch out for your souls. So if you're in the military, uh, the people who are over you are trying to save your life. We're on, we're, we we want to save your life, but we want to save your eternal life. Do you realize the church is the only organization in the world that is in the business of eternal life? It's pretty important. Be submissive to them, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give an account. What he's saying right there is, Pharaoh Hardison has to give an account of what he preaches, what he says. When he says, God put in my heart that our church ought to do this, he's got to give an account of that before God. So he goes on, he says, let them do so with joy and not grief. In other words, let leaders lead with joy and not grief because if, they, if, if you're resisting them, if you're fighting them, if you're warring against them, then, then they can't serve in joy. They'll serve in grief, and that would be unprofitable for who? The, the pastor? Sure, it would be unprofitable for him, but look who else it's unprofitable for. It's unprofitable for? I mean, if we're fussing and fighting and fuming and questioning and, and challenging and we won't come under and we've got this who does he think he is, who does she think she is attitude, who do, then the church can't function that way. The church will fall apart. Look what it says in verse 18. Paul says, if you want to talk about me, put it in the form of a what? Yeah, man, listen, gossip to Jesus about me. I, I hope you will. I need it. I need it. Pray. Paul says, pray for us. Paul says, now we're confident that we're doing what God's put in our heart. We're confident that we have a good conscience. We're confident, Paul says, that we've heard from God and we're obeying God. He says, um, 
but pray for us so that in all things uh, we would desire to live honorably. I'm tempted just like you are. I'm tempted by the same things you're tempted by. I need you to pray for me. I need you to pray and say, God, don't let our pastor fall into sin. God, don't let our pastor fall into some affair with some woman. God, don't let our pastor mishandle money. God, help our pastor to be a man of truth and not lies. I need you to pray for me. Pray for me. Pray for our staff. The enemy knows if he can take us out, the rest will just fall. Um, one of my favorite preachers from years gone by is uh, uh, Jim, Jim Forehand. How many of you have heard Jim Forehand preach? Jim Forehand preached a sermon on the fall of the mighty cedar, and he talked about how when the big cedar falls, it crushes all the little trees. And that's why the enemy comes after leadership, because if we fall, look at the lives that would be crushed, the fragile lives that will be crushed. So pray for me. Please pray for me. And then we go to 1 Timothy 5.17, and Timothy is that young preacher, and Paul is telling him how to set up his church. See, Paul would go into a city. He was, that's, this is what the gift of apostle is. Paul would go into a city. He would preach. He would preach a sermon uh, um, or preach several sermons. And uh, people would come to Christ and they would accept Christ. They'd be born again. They'd get saved. They'd, they would commit their life to Christ. And then he would take those people and say, okay, let's start a church. And then he would recognize in that body people who had gifts and he would say, okay, you're over the children's ministry, and you're over student ministry, and, and you're over parking. <laughs> and, and he would say, and you're going to be the pastor. He'd look at a guy like Timothy and go, Timothy, you're going to be the pastor. So he's telling Timothy, see, Paul would leave them once he got that church established and go to another church and start another church in another city. That is the gift of apostle. Now, have y'all noticed that, that we're at a time in the church world when titles are really important? Everybody's got a title, apostle so-and-so, bishop so-and-so, great high potentate, Pharaoh Hardison, you know. Um, <laughs> we got all these titles. Well, I, I want to tell y'all something. I don't mean to hurt anybody's feelings, but there's a lot of people called apostle so-and-so, and this is going to be bad English, but it's going to be good preaching. They ain't no apostle. Because apostle is not walking around in a $1,500 suit, riding around in an expensive car going, I'm the apostle. Apostles roll their sleeves up and get sweaty and start churches. That's what apostles do. Did I say that out loud? I said that right out loud, didn't I? Okay. And, and so, so 1 Timothy 5, 17, he says, now Timothy, let the elders... And we're about to change the government of our church just a little bit. We've always functioned from a deacon board, but we're about to establish a board of elders in our church. And they will be men of prayer and men who hear from God and men who, who, who have that gifting. And then we're going to have some men who have the gifting in organization and administration and finance, and, we're, and they're going to function, and we're going to have those meetings separately, and then we'll bring those guys together. We believe the church will flow better that way, and we believe that that really is the best biblical model. So I just thought I'd throw that out there so you can be praying about that. 1 Timothy 5 and 17 says, let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of what? Double honor. Double honor is talking about how to treat people in leadership. 
especially those who labor in the word and in... So we're talking about honoring imperfect people. We're talking about honoring the office, honoring the position of imperfect people. Go to 1 Thessalonians 5. Here's Paul. He's writing a letter to the church at Thessalonica, and it's 1 Thessalonians. So which letter do you think it would be? The awesome. All right, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 through 13. Dear brothers and sisters, great way to start a letter to a church. Dear brothers and sisters, say it out loud. Honor those who are your in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and what? Warn you against all that is wrong. I love this next verse. Think highly of them. Think highly of them and give them your money. No, no, wait a minute. Give them your wholehearted what? Love. Now, when you love somebody, you love them when they're not perfect. And Millie's over there about to go, yes, Jesus, help me. (laughs) Think highly of them. She's probably going, yeah. Stop, honey, stop. Think highly of them and give them your wholehearted love because of their work. And remember, if you really want to help your pastor, if you really want to help your leadership team, if you really want to help your staff, if you really want to set them free to do what I've called them to do, God says, Live peaceably with each other. One of the things I love about this church is we have very little of that. We have some, but we have very little squabbling and fighting and all that. How many of you know if you put two people together, eventually there's going to be a disagreement? So if you put, we had over 1,600 last weekend. So if you put 1,600 people together, Okay? What we've got to do is not think there isn't going to be rub against each other, that there's not going to be friction, that there's not going to be conflict, that there's not going to be disagreement. What we've got to do is get a hold of ourselves and act like Christians. Amen, amen. More than ruling over people, spiritual authority is an obligation to Jesus Christ that we love each other, that we feed each other, and that we protect each other. Along with this responsibility comes the responsibility of instructing, counseling, warning. Listen, and I know, boy, this is the part we don't like, and everybody loves Pastor Farrell till he has to do this next one. Correction. Can I tell you something about having to bring correction into the house of God? If you think that's fun for me, you need to rethink. There is nothing that stresses me more than to have to bring correction into the house of God. You say, what about you, big boy? Anybody ever corrected you? I've been here 21 years. What do you think? Oh, yeah, I've been corrected. I've been called in by the deacons. I've been... been confronted about things and talked to and said, Pastor, you know, we hold each other accountable. Pastor gets off track, you get off track, staff gets off track, we get off track. So we pull each other in, we pull each other in. We say, look, look, look now, look now. 
man, we, we're getting off track right there. We're, we're going in a direction. And we just pull each other in and we hold on to each other and we support each other. and We don't turn on each other. We don't turn on each other. We, we hold each other accountable in love. And, and I've had correction brought into my life and I've got to tell you all something, I really enjoyed it. No, I didn't. I hated it. I hate it. The Bible talks about it in the book of Hebrews. It says, it says um, when your parents bring uh, correction to you, it is not joyous, but grievous. Grievous. It's painful. But that same scripture, we won't go there because I want to preach on it. It says, but when you do correction, it brings forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. So a church that doesn't exercise discipline and correction is a church that's going to have unrighteousness in it. And it is a church that is going to not be peace, at peace. So when we have to do correction, support it. Pray for it. Listen, I've been on the giving end of correction. I've been on the receiving end of correction. I don't like either one of them. I wish we never had to do it. Sometimes you have to rebuke. Spiritual authority is more than a title. It's a relationship with people. People in authority in the church are first servants. I tell the staff that all the time. As a matter of fact, if I ever describe my position here at Whitley Church, I say I serve as the senior pastor. I serve as the senior pastor of Whitley Church. I'm a, I'm a servant. Jesus told the disciples, he said, you need to stop Worrying about who's going to be first and who's going to be at the top of the flow chart and who's going to be first and, and when we get to heaven, who's going to be at my right. So you need to quit worrying about that. Quit worrying about ruling over people and, and love people and minister to people. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 16. Everybody all right out there? Y'all love me? Mm, about a third. Mm. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16. Look what Paul says here. This is some of the most beautiful words to a church from a pastor I've ever heard. And I've got to tell you something about the Corinthian church. They were crazy. I'm not kidding you, man. The Corinthian church, they had all kind of gifts operating, spiritual gifts operating. But at the same time, man, those, they were some whacked out folks in that church. And Paul had to keep correcting them and correcting them and correcting them. And they would take a truth and run out of bounds with it. And Paul would have to bring them back in. Let me just give you one example. One thing they did was they made Holy Communion into a, into a, fe a, a feast, and Paul said, i got to tell you all something. You are really dishonoring God the way you're doing communion. As a matter of fact, you have dishonored God so much, he's killing some of you early. You say, that isn't in the Bible. Oh, yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. He says, some of you, because of your lack of respect and dishonor, are dying early. You think God takes honor and respect and stuff? You think God takes that seriously? He'll take you out. 1 Corinthians 4, 14 through 16, I'm not writing these things to shame you. Paul says, I'm not writing these correction things to, to shame you or make you feel bad. I think sometimes when I'm preaching, and I know I preach sermons sometimes that pinch a little bit, and, and, and you, you know, when I get through preaching, you just want to go out the door and get in the car and go eat some chicken. I understand that. Listen, do you think, I don't, you think those sermons don't pinch me? They pinch me. And I, 
know you're out there going, yeah, but you act like you enjoy saying it so much. But it pinches me. It's not my word. If I stay in the Bible, I'm not giving you my word. I'm giving you his word. So it rocks my world too. So he's saying to Pharaoh Hardison here, Pharaoh Hardison, uh, you can resist my correction in your life, but I'm not trying to shame you, son. I'm trying to what? Warn you. Warn you. And I know people who, who want go to a church that preaches like we do because they don't want to hear it straight up. They don't want to hear it straight up. Here's the problem with that. They're going to stand before God one day and go, I didn't know. God's going to go, you know, your name isn't in this book. And he's going to go, well, I, I didn't know. I don't want that for you. The reason I preach those sermons that pinch you a little bit and, and, and make you want to come up here and lay hands on me, the reason I preach those sermons is because I want you to stand before God one day and go, yes, I'm ready to get into heaven because my preacher laid it out there and I know exactly what I had to know to be able to get, amen? That's what I want for you. That's why I want you to hold me accountable because I want to stand before God clean too. He says, I'm not writing, I'm not preaching these sermons, I'm not doing this to shame you, but to warn you as my beloved children. Paul says, for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. And when you read that, you think he might be talking about God, but he's not, he's talking about himself. Look at the next verse, or look at the last part of verse 15. He says, for I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I ask you to follow my example and do as I do. And in many instances, Paul gave commands. Paul even put people out of the church. He, I mean, he put them out. You know, if you'll read the old minutes, the old records of this church. You know, this church started in 1918, right across the street over here. You read the old records, they put people out in a heartbeat. They, they put, we, we, I, I was reading in the minutes of this church back in at 1920, 21. It said, we voted to spend five cents to buy a bucket for the well. That's in the minutes of this church back in 19, you know, whatever. And then it said, and we also voted to excommunicate so-and-so. Paul put them out. Paul put them out of the church. As a matter of fact, I was reading in there, and he turned some of them over to Satan. I, I got to tell y'all, man, when I read that, I thought, man, there's some people I know. I said, devil, you just have. It's just. <laughs> none of y'all. None of y'all. Oh, wait a minute. Let me see who's here. Okay. <laughs> y'all with me? God's serious about this stuff. Bishops, elders, pastors, apostles, deacons have all been called to exercise correction and discipline in the house of God. Now, I'm going to give you a scripture reference. I'm not going to read it, and you're going to be glad because I would want to preach on it a long time. So let, let me just give you a scripture reference, and you write this down and read it when you get home. 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 13. Now, in that passage, and we're not going to read it, but in that passage, Paul's dealing with spiritual elitists in the church. And Paul comes in and brings correction about who he is in Jesus and who these spiritual elitists who've come along tried to steal his church. And Paul comes in and, and sets it straight in 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 13. 
talks about um, power struggles and all of that. You see, submission in the church, again, brings, it brings godly order. Submission in our society brings order. It brings godly order. It brings safety. It, it brings a, 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 an atmosphere and an environment that promotes you the opportunity to be successful in the world. The Bible says in Galatians 5.13 to serve one another in love. Serve in love. Serve in love. Serve in love. Submission is not about the abuse of a title. Rather, it is a mutual relationship of love, humility, and respect that is first toward God, then toward man. Now, here's another, here's another passage that I'm not going to read to you, but you do need to read it when you get home. And this is Romans 13. Uh, 1 through 7, Romans 13, 1 through 7. In that passage, Paul talks about civil authority. He t- you're going to really love reading that passage because he says you've got to pay your taxes. So that's going to get y'all really excited. Let me, just, let me just land this plane. In the book of Numbers, chapter 27, verses 18 through 20, Moses had died and Joshua was about to take o- over It says, the Lord replied, take Joshua, son of Nun, who has the Spirit in him, that's a capital S, the Holy Spirit in him, lay your hands on him, present him to Eleazar the priest before the whole community and publicly commission, next slide, him with the responsibility of what? Leading the people. Transfer your authority to him. Who had died? Charlton Heston died, Moses. Okay, so now Joshua is going to get it. Joshua becomes the leader after Moses died. And actually, Joshua is the one who led him into the promised land because Moses uh, had red hair. All right. Okay. He was, Moses, uh, he he was a little bit of a hothead, so he didn't get in. Um, He got into heaven. He just didn't get into the promised land. So transfer your authority to him so the whole community of Israel will what? Obey him. Obey Joshua because Joshua is perfect. No. He's just the leader. He's the leader. Go to Joshua 1, 16 through 18. Now, this is Joshua responding to the people giving him leadership. This is Joshua responding to the people after Moses died, and they looked to him, and they granted authority to him to be their new leader. Uh, This is Joshua, uh, or this is the people, rather, talking to Joshua. This is their response to him. We will do whatever you command us, and we will go wherever you send us. We will obey you just as we obeyed Charlton, just as we obeyed Moses. And may the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. Do you see these people coming under this leader? You say, I think you're kind of setting yourself up, Pastor, to you just want everybody to do everything you say. Listen, I'm not going to be here forever. I'm not going to be here forever. As a matter of fact, I got less time here than I've been here. Okay? So I'm not going to be here forever. I want you to function this way when I'm gone. What I'm preaching this morning, you have to function like this as a church when I'm not your pastor anymore. You got to come under the next guy. Now, I didn't put this verse in because I didn't want to freak y'all out, but the very next verse after that verse is verse 18. And it says, anyone who rebels against your word, Joshua, and does not obey your every command will be put to death. 
Now, we haven't adopted that policy yet. We haven't adopted that policy. What, the reason I wanted to read that to you is because I just want you to see how serious God is. God says, listen, I've placed Joshua there. You follow this man. If he messes up, I'll take care of him. Jesus lived and taught submission. Jesus taught the disciples uh, to be servants. Jesus said, I didn't come to rule over, I came to serve. Jesus uh, taught the disciples, lay down your life for the gospel's sake. Instead of being concerned about ruling over people, lay down your life, lay down your life. One writer said, submission is first a position you take, then it's a condition you live. In Luke 2.51, it talks about Jesus' relationship to Joseph and Mary. And the Bible says, he subjected himself to them. He subjected himself to Joseph and Mary. He's the son of God. He is God. And he came under Joseph and Mary. He came under their rule, under their parental authority. Jesus talked about his uh, submission to spiritual authority. In John 5, 30, he said, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only what I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but to please him who sent me. So he subjected himself to Joseph and Mary. He subjected himself to the laws of that land. He subjected himself to Pilate. He subjected himself to the Romans. And he subjected himself, he came under the authority of his father in heaven. You say, well, uh, coming under authority, I mean, what's that gonna get me? Well, look what he got Jesus in Luke 2.52. It says, because Jesus was submissive, he increased in wisdom and stature, and in favor with God and man. Listen to me, church. If you are rebellious, there are things God cannot do for you. You say, well, I'm under a leader I don't like, and I'm under a leader I don't appreciate, and I'm under a leader I don't like the way they do things. I don't like the decisions they make. So I walk around and pout, and I won't cooperate, and blah, 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 blah. Well, let me tell you something. You know who you're hurting? Oh, you're hurting the group. And you're hurting that leader, but above all, you're hurting yourself. Because when Jesus came under, he grew in stature. You know, people think to get promoted that you have to, you have to push yourself on people. The Bible says Jesus has been given a name that is above every name. But it says before he was given a name that is above every name. The Bible says, therefore, he humbled himself. He humbled himself. This is in Philippians. He humbled himself. And because he humbled himself, therefore, he has been given a name above every name. He humbled himself. That's how you get promoted. Through humility. Acts 20, 28. Here's God's word to me and God's word to you who are leaders. We have a lot of responsibility. Keep watch over yourselves, Pharaoh Hardison. Keep watch over yourself. While you're looking after everybody else, dude, you better take care of yourself and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Be a shepherd to that church. 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care. Serving, serving, serving as overseers. Not because you must, but because you're willing. 
as God wants you to be, not greedy for money, but eager to serve. Verse 3, not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, when Jesus comes back, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. And then finally in 1 John 3, 16, look what it says. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. Father, thank you for your word today. Bring correction into this house by the power of your Holy Spirit and begin with me, Lord. Begin with me. Whitley Church, the bridge, if we don't understand what was preached here today, if we rebel, if I rebel against what was preached here today, because I am subject to people. I have officials in our organization, in our denominational uh, structure. I have officials who are over me. I have officials who, who are over me, and I, and I am to, I am to uh, submit to them. And if I don't submit to them, then I can't be over this church. In order for me to be over, Lord, I've come to understand I have to come under. I have to come under not just you, Lord, but men, imperfect men. So God, teach me submission and teach our church submission and help us to know that if we're not willing to submit and come under, we will never be the church that you desire us to be. Deal with us as a church, but also deal with us as individuals. We pray it all in Christ's name. And everybody said, now guys, here's how it works. The altar is going to be filled with people. We're going to be praying for people up here. If you have questions about the sermon, come. Hey, if you're a first-time guest today, and I know we have some first-time guests, we have a gift for you right there. Right back there at the very back of this room. Go back there and pick up your gift. Don't forget the everything card. That's the way you sign up for stuff. Thanks for coming. I love you. God bless you.